Thanks for joining us on Dead Cat. We're here with Mike Isaac, my former BizDay colleague at the New York Times. I ran away to Washington, D.C. He stayed in San Francisco like the smart person he is. Then he went on to write a book about Uber, which is now going to be a television series premiering on Showtime quite soon. Mike will give us more details. And he just wrote a great story about Spotify. So there's a lot to talk to Mike about today. And Mike, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. T-minus how many days till the premiere, Mike? It is uh, February 27th. Sunday night on Showtime is coming up. So like if it comes out on Tuesday, probably like really close five days. Have you have you watched it yet? So I just watched episodes last night. Wow. Uh, I know. Like I had, it's funny because I have had, so this whole experience has been wild. Like I've never done anything like this at all, but like they've been, when I first signed this whole thing, my publisher was like, don't even think that it's going to get made. All this shit, like options get bought all the time and nothing happens. So I went in with very low expectations, but they've been, um, Brian, David and Beth, the showrunners have been super cool and like involved me a lot and stuff. So, uh, I've had access to what are called the dailies, like the daily, um, uh, reels that they shoot or whatever. And I can Mm -hmm. sort of watch that, but I, um, am just, they're starting to send out screeners. Actually, we're probably going to bug you guys soon because they're starting to send out screeners to folks who might want to watch them. And Eric, I was going to email you Great, yeah. uh, if you want to see it. So yeah, yeah of course. I did watch it last Wait, did night. You push, did you push back in anything in production sort of factually or truthiness or were you pretty chill I definitely, about- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can, like, I think there are definitely people who are like, this is so stupid. Um, I was, my role was like fact guy, basically. Like I think, which was appropriate for, me and my day job or whatever as a journalist. So I was like, this is what happened. You guys obviously are creative types can do whatever you want, but, um, I can. And so they would go to me for like, yeah, like what is Larry page like, or what is, or what did, you know, I know, which is a whole how other, much, how much time do you have? <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Oh my God. I watched the Larry page episode. It's so, ugh, yeah, it's going to be, Role of a lifetime. I mean, it's so good. You know who's, who's playing him? Who? No. Who? That it's really it's fascinating. It's um, do you remember the guy on Mad Men who went crazy? Um, the and, like, like cut his ear off or whatever. Yes. Yes. Yeah, like Ginsburg. He's, that Ginsburg. Year. Yes. Oh, Ginsburg he's like, is he's like twenty That's thirty great. years younger than Larry. Page. I know. But that, but that works though. That really it's, works. He is yeah. so good. I can't. It was, even it tell was his you. nipple, by the way, that he cut oh, off in Mad oh, Men. Oh, sorry. Oh. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nipple. Oh, yeah. You're right. It's Van, yeah. it's Van Gogh who cut right. off his ear. Yeah. Yeah. They're all artists though. He was also in Silicon Valley too. He's really cut out a niche for himself. Oh, he was the lawyer. Yep. Yeah. He went the I forgot that. about that. That's really interesting. Well, like these guys, Brian and David, the guys who do billions just kind of weirdly know everyone in like, like I always sort of run into folks, not even in Hollywood, whatever, like in Techland, who are like, Oh yeah, I've known Brian for whatever. His father was a music industry exec. So they, the cameos are, Ugh, it's, I'm just super, I was really worried. I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good. I hope people like it, you know, and it's the very cast good. is amazing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's it just, they've been able to get so many great people. Have you interacted with the cast at all as part of this? Yeah, I got to, um, go down to the to set in LA. It was actually good timing because it was right between when we all got vaccinated and before like 
Delta Omicron, like fucked everything up. And so I got to go and like hang out on this, the studio lot for a few days and got to meet, uh, Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, um, Kyle Chandler. They're both like, and it was really like everyone, I guess they have to be nice to me, but they were actually like really, (laughs) really nice people and very sharp, like super curious. Joe is like super interested and curious about the tech industry and in ways that like, I just, he's got, he's got a company. He's got like a digital media company and yeah, I, I run into him from time to time at things. Like he definitely really? the circuit. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I ran into him early days. Like when I lived in LA, I was like bumming around in Hollywood. Oh, wow. uh, that's cool. That's a different were you, story. Were you, wait, wait, wait. Are you an inspiring actor, Tom? <laughs> Am I an inspiring actor for him? An a- aspiring actor. <laughs> or, oh, or oh inspiring. no. I, I wasn't that much bumming around. No, I was sitting <laughs> yeah. in, I was, a, I was an assistant on the movie G.I. Joe. Uh, no way. The, the Rise of Cobra. Holy I was an assistant to the producer and I came in for the last three weeks and I probably was there for the worst part of the movie as far as Joe is concerned, because sure. do you know what ADR is in movies? Like when they, they have to, yeah, they like go in after a movie is completed and like when they want to have the censored version of it, they have the actors go into a booth and instead of them saying like, ah, shit, you know, oh, it's yeah. like Joseph Gordon-Levitt being like, shoot. And yeah. it's literally them doing like 30 takes of this or like alternate endings and, and all this other stuff. They just record in a sound booth so they can tweak the movie if they need to at the end. And so I was there for that. I was just sitting in the sound booth, just doing nothing, <laughs> which is what most people in Hollywood do. As you probably saw on set, oh, you were the like, dream. why do people not do anything here? They just sit down and watch <laughs> everyone else do things. There's so um, many folks, yeah, just sort of milling around, I guess, doing something or like they have one very specific job that I'm not sure what it is. But Yeah. And if they don't day. do it, they're fired. But otherwise, they have nothing to do. But anyway, so I was just sitting there. I really had nothing to do. Uh, but but he, there were, the director wasn't there to like coach him through his like, shoot, darn, crap. <laughs> And he, he got super pissed about this. He was like, why, why is no one directing me? And so he walked, he, he, this is Joseph Gordon-Levitt you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. 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 And, and so he walked out of the session. He was so pissed. Um, oh my God. That's he so stormed funny. out. But, but as he was walking out, he looked over at me and he was like, I'm sorry. You had to see that. Oh my God. <laughs> So I, I love that he was like just self-conscious enough to understand. Yeah. And so <laughs> that then it's gone better. Right. Right. So that's, that's what makes these people great uh, versus <laughs> mediocre actors. And then I, so like flash forward, like six years or seven years later or something, I'm at um, web summit in Lisbon and he's there to promote uh hit record, which is like his digital media company. Yep. And uh, randomly I shared a cab with him and his like people uh, on the way to it. And it would have been a great full circle moment for me to have like told him like, Oh yeah, you remember that time? But he wouldn't hopefully he not just remember screaming shoot darn. Yeah. In his face. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but Joe, Joe is, as we're calling him, I've no, I've never met the man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he goes by Joe. Yeah. Joe. Yeah. Uh, he's playing Travis, right? Kalanick. Yep. Great. What, great um, casting. what is, what do you think he pulled sort of most truthfully from, from Travis as you know? Yeah, no, I mean, you. I think probably all of us have met Travis at some point over the years, maybe. Or yeah, I think so. Some, Tom, yeah, have you? Yeah. Katie, you nope. have? Yeah, yes, yeah. I have. I'm sorry. Yes, I mean, I've met him yeah, several yeah, times. Yeah. But. So, like, you know how intense the guy is <laughs> on, like, just sort of every level, just very um, – I guess the thing that – that I was excited about is like, this is very casting against type for Joe, I would say like, I, I you know, uh, aside from maybe 
GI Joe, although I did not see that movie. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, he's, you know, you know him as like, Five hundred nice days guy. of summer guy. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Right. right. Yeah, like just very sort of and he's just that's not him in the show at all, you know? Like obviously Travis is not gonna be starring in five hundred days of summer. Right. So Travis he, is an I, alpha, <laughs> not a beta. Right. Well he, he would he would be summer. That's the thing. He would star right. but he'd be summer. <laughs> But I'm sure like if you're directing Joe in this and the direction is like, you got to be intense, dude. Like actors like that. Like that's something they can dig into. But Travis is also nerdy though. He's not just, and and he captures that sort of. Yeah. I think, I think they, I mean, a lot of, they use really technical language. Like I appreciate it in the script. They incorporate pretty technical language and they have fun with it. They, they, you know, they have to take liberties just for storytelling and like, like you can't, I think any tech movie that didn't do that would be very boring and hard to watch. So like, I think they sort of explain these concepts that are pretty sophisticated in ways that the audience can kind of digest, which I think is good. And then also like assumes that the audience is intelligent enough to sort of grasp onto these things. But, um, he's definitely, he's got the like sort of rapid fire thinking thing down like intensity, but also knows how to geek out on, on things like you said, like he's he's not an obvious nerd, I guess is what you would say. If you just see his sort of public persona, you don't necessarily think nerd, but I think that's totally right. And so I think he, I think he really gets that. And like, I don't know, he's is, just, is he's he the funny. villain? I mean, it's sort of, I, uh, it's sort of like in the book, like what is villain? who's the villain of this story, right? He's like the protagonist slash antagonist, right? right? And like similar with Kyle Chandler as Gurley, he's like, you like you. there's a version of you rooting for him, but at the same time, like he's also like a pain in the ass of Travis, right? You know, or like someone that's just sort of, at least in, you know, the way they portrayed in the show, they're just sort of these characters who are close and then are driven apart and then ultimately come back against each other. So I think it's, I th- I thought which was what was really f- cool about it is they they kind of did the same thing that I tried to do in the book which is like we don't have a clear a clear hero you know and you don't want to just totally one dimensionalize Travis because he's a rounded flawed person I guess you know mm-hmm. and I think I- you do like Joe in the show. Hmm. Well, I think that people did like Travis in real life. And that was one of the things that was perplexing, perhaps, in the media representation of Travis. So many stories about Uber, especially, what was it, 2017, were pretty negative. And the news was negative. The facts were negative. So as a reporter, you couldn't really capture the fact that he is a fun and interesting and weird person. And that that is actually part. Yeah. And that's part of who he is, which is why he could get away at a given moment, you know, but but that's why he could be the person he was like, you can't, um, you can't do some of the things that we reported about and have people still come back for more. If you are not at least charismatic in some way. It's, it's interesting talking to people at Uber now, which I think of the people here, I'm the only one who actually yeah. still reports oh, for on sure. this <laughs> fucking We've all written about Uber at some point. Yeah, now, oh right. God, that's right. <laughs> right. Tom, anyway. your coverage has been great, by the way, at BI. It's been awesome oh, to see like thank you, you digging up news and like making news on Uber these days. Right. There's still kind of news to, to, yeah. to be had about them. But but it is interesting to talk to, you know, the, the, the class of people that came up under Travis, the ones who transitioned into the Dara regime, the ones who only knew of Uber under Dara. And mm. they have such conflicted, the you know, the, the 
the first two groups have such conflicted feelings about Travis. Cause in one sense, you know, if they're the ones yeah. complaining about Dara for all the reasons that, you know, you could imagine, you would think like, oh, so Travis was better or you, you know, you must've been a Travis acolyte. And they're like, Hey, listen, I'm no Travis defender. You know, he caused me plenty of you know misery or this was really tough under him. Oh my God. These are the people who make the vibe shift. The people who are not invited <laughs> oh, toward God. the previous vibe are the people who right. are going to grow up to the next one. Right. Yeah. I don't, know where <laughs> I don't know where their allegiance actually lie, but I think like that sort of complexity that you're describing about like, is he a good, is he bad? Is he both, uh, you know, is the same thing that Uber employees seem like they were constantly wrestling with, you know, even yep. though he made them fabulously wealthy and, you know, was the best time of their lives and they were taking over the world and all that crazy shit that I'm sure is going to drive the drama of the show. Yeah. They're still upset. They're still like torn up about it. They're, they're really, still very conflicted. I totally, I think conflicted is exactly right. I've never really, I mean, there are folks who, there are folks who take stances, but I think people or take like unilateral stances, but I think a lot of the folks who have straddled certain eras or, or recognized eventually, like there are definitely Travis people who will just like be like, yeah, yeah, yeah Travis Ryder die. But I think a lot of the folks who are more self-aware feel really conflicted about the guy. And to this day, even some of the people who were closest to him still have really sort of strange, even strained relationships, you know? And like, I don't know. I don't know if that ever changes with him. Are, are there a lot of uh, composite characters or what sort of, who are the main, from from the real fall of Travis? Like, I mean, Benchmark sure. World, like Matt Kohler and Peter Fenn were cast, right? Or what, yep. give, just give us, you know, this is sort of a real Silicon Valley audience. Like who's, yeah, yeah, who's sure. really in it and who's sort of like, oh. how do you, how do you prepare to play Peter Fenton, by the way? Like what's, what's the research <laughs> Going you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, like what? Go into a K-hole. There's like, there's a press person, but what, like Jill Hazelbaker, Rachel Whetstone and Matt Coleman are merged into like one sort of person or what's, no, this wow. is that's, out that's what a horrifying, Jill and, yeah, what, a, what an intense person. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Jill and Rachel are in the show. As different people. Okay. I got to Two different people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. People. If you're, if you're some, casting Peter Fenton, you got to have a Jill Hazelbaker <laughs> and a Rachel. I think they, so there are composite folks. Um, I don't want to give away too much, um, but like, there are, again, for like storytelling purposes, I think you have to sort of merge certain people into like one person to represent. I'm the person who comes and talks to you about X issue that we have or X engineering thing that we do, or we're working on like um, how they get around Apple's, um, you know, detection stuff on how they were sort of duping Apple for a while. And like, so there is definitely some folks who, or, or like, a, there's this character called Hendrix who is um, like the security type dude who kind of stands in for someone who might have done uh, the Ripley stuff that you guys reported on, and like, or the um, or Grayball, or like, uh, like people who kind of represent different parts of what Uber was doing in different parts of its um, existence. And so, I think that. I think it I think it works because like again you don't need to get every sort of detail in terms of who is involved and how but I I think they sort of get it across in a way that and that's the other thing like you and I or all of us here kind of know how to or when we when we when you're watching it you're going to be like oh ha 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 you know I get that or I know what really happened there right. but like 
getting like normal people to like digest and understand right. all Obviously the shit the that you and I take for, for granted. If the show was built for us, that would be an insane. Right. Uh, <laughs> it would probably be <laughs> terrible. <laughs> like right. very boring show. Yeah, like a exactly. super boring show. Exactly. Right. Super but they, boring. They yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. They they do a good job of abridging a lot of those concepts into to things. And then they 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 have like David Drummond is a character in the show or How like, which, this thing. It's uh, seven, seven, seven. I mean, it feels, I mean, this is going to be the fun of watching the show, but a lot of the drama sort of in the book and just that was in the, was like sort of bored stuff. But then obviously all the scandals are, you know, engineering sort of driven. So I'm interested to see just how they, how how they they sort of cover all that ground or like, is is they try to cover it all or they try to mostly, anyway, you don't have to spoil it. I'm about to say, just watch the show. I know. No, no, I can talk. I think at a high level, I think, I think they do a good job of, I mean, it's funny because all of us lived through 2017, but a lot of 2017 was retroactively digging up all the shit that happened in the past. Right. So a lot of the drama for us was like later, but I think that you can cover it in a way where it's built into the arc over hmm. time, right? Um, and so I think they do a good job of doing that. I think they also, they wanted to tease out the Travis-Bill divide more. And so, I mean, a lot of this is just sort of like, how do you tell, um, how do you do this right for the screen? And it's a lot of like character arcs and like, what are these characters need to do over time. They need to be antagonists and sort of like fighting and like a relationship that builds and changes and then ultimately dissolves as we know from reality. So like, so I think that's where the um, creative sort of dramatic uh, storytelling part comes into it. So even if it's not, um, this is exactly what we know, how it happened and when it happened, I think they sort of, use that and the arc of like, okay, rise and fall over seven episodes, uh, make it work like that. I, so, I asked this, but was there a, was there a specific thing you just drew a heart? You were like, you need to get this fact right. Or you need to, was there a thing where you I'm trying translating the book to the show that stands out to you or that wasn't yeah. like a big issue? I No, no, no. It's a good, um, I'm trying to think if there was a moment. So the fun, one cool thing was that I was, there were these, we did two writer's rooms, Um, and each room was, so what a room is, is like, they get all the writers on the show, the showrunners, and then you have like writers for each episode. So like a different writer will do write one episode. So we had like six or seven people and then the showrunners go back over the script and like add their stuff and like their dialogue they want and like ask for this and that. And so, so the, this group of people convened, uh, and they wanted me to come in. So I, I came in too and I did it. It was for five days a week, like two hours every morning. Um, this was all before my job, my actual job. And then, um, uh, for 10 weeks. So it was really intense. Wow. And just sort of like, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And then we did that twice. So there was a 10 week stretch, um, very early on in the pandemic and we all did this over zoom. And then there was another 10 week stretch, uh, later on as, as things. So you were very involved in like the script. Yeah, it was. So, and this is the sort of protection I think I have just in terms of like real world stuff. I was very, I was very much present and got to be there for a lot of it, but also was the sort of like, (laughs) 
here's how it went down person. Like I, and there's a way of way of doing that where I could have been like captain come down. Like, ah, you can't do that. But like, there weren't that many moments that they were really good about picking out details in the book and trying to, um, bring those out a little bit more, you know? And then, um, I mean, there, there will be things that I'm sure Valley folks will pick at. Absolutely. But I think that's going to happen in any industry. Right. Where they, they, they do that with newspaper stories yeah. too. So I yeah. exactly. like a new thing. Yep. The other thing I would say is they're very Brian and David touches because if you ever watch billions, you kind of know their aesthetic and their, um, rapid fire talky, like pop cultural references they like to throw in. And so they, so like, there's the vibe is definitely, you know, how Valley folks operate, but also through Brian and David's writing style and hmm. eyes, you know, right. just like uh-huh. you would see, you would know how a particular screenwriter writes different things. It's, it's like, it's like that. And so they definitely put their touch on it, I guess is what I mean. Is Ariana Huffington is obviously very good <laughs> at making sure Ariana she <laughs> she always comes out of anything looking good. I <laughs> I feel like no matter no matter what she comes out uh looking well. Does she come out of this show looking good? <laughs> I think the I think it depends on you how you saw her come out of the book looking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think it I think they try to sort of really tease out. I mean, if you're cast as Uma Thurman in a show, right. it's probably hard not to look good, exactly. you know? <laughs> like, I got, I can't even tell you how many people, like, message me saying, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, it's just not right. happy. Is there, I mean, in the, correct me if you disagree. I forget. I'd have to go back to the book. But, I mean, my view, Ariana was someone sort of hated by both the pro and anti-Travis sides by the end because she was pro-Travis for longer than people would have liked but then obviously Travis demands absolute loyalty and she wasn't, yeah. she comes around to sort of the Dara decision and then is out on the Travis side and is left with very few friends in Uber world. I mean, I don't know. Would you agree with that? Oh, I know. hundred percent. I think Ariana is always team Ariana. Right. And like you said, like she always, but I, I think mean, that's Kate. why she almost lands on her feet. I mean, I yeah, think right. that, right. like the when we did that profile of her, the upshot was she's always going to be fine and she always comes out fine. And everybody right. was so mad because they wanted her to fail. And I was like, this is not a person who's ever going to fail. So right. if you're wishing for that, well, for your I'm telling you is the fact. It is public it's, it's, image making. <laughs> that, right. I would well, hope the thing you would be good at is having a good public image. 100%. You know, that is, but yeah, oh, if, if you 100%. optimize for that, you'll always come out. See, it was funny that you said she comes out looking good because that's never her. I don't think her MO is coming out looking good. I think she's no, needs to no. come out unscathed, right? Sure. Well, like, not just unscathed, but come out with some sort of advantage that propels her to her next thing. Right. And I think she's very, very good at that and uniquely so. And if people resent her for it, I get it. But at the same time, like, but she doesn't care if they resent her. She for doesn't. It. Who cares if you're eyes resented? on the prize, if baby. Every time you move from thing to thing, you gain more power or you gain something like who cares then if somebody resents you. The only other thing I was going to say on that is she always seems to find just when I was writing the book and sort of tracing her ascendance, I guess, like she always seems to find this next little thing that actually is going to be a thing, you know, like, I mean, she like Huffington post, um, kind of decimated news before anything else did in a way that did very well for her, you know, and like, and, and just for get, her, right. You know, and, and then like the whole wellness industry thing, people thought yeah. that 
it was so scammy, but then she kind of was there at the forefront of like, we're going to sell health in this like very 100%. packaged way. Like health is now going to become something that you can buy. <laughs> how How is the show going to change the way the public thinks about Uber, right? Because mm. it felt like Uber was something when the public didn't think about it all, right? Mm-hmm. When it was a Silicon Valley obsession, it was just like a thing that you used. And then mm-hmm. bec- in part because of all these critical media stories, Uber became kind of uh, the public touchstone for bad Silicon Valley. Like this is what's bad about the tech industry. Yes. And then everyone forgot about Uber again. So how is this going yes. to reestablish the Uber like public image or change it? I think that for, I think that we think we know how normal people think about Silicon Valley uh, in a very different way than reality. Meaning we have a very, like, we have a very strong conception of what these companies are, what the Valley is. I don't think normal people have any real great thinking about what it's like inside of Uber or even inside of Google, Facebook, a lot of these, I think people's, so so Facebook is probably the best example. I think people's vision of version of what they think Facebook is like is still from the social network movie, um, whatever, like 10, 15 years ago. Right. Like, which was totally fabricated, right? Which was, but but it's still 100% what I thought of Facebook forever. Right. And it sticks with you. And that's, I think that's how, you know, again, like all of us are very much deeply entrenched in what it's like day to day. in a lot of these, companies and, you know, just sort of what the vibe of the Valley is like. I think normal people are so far removed from that. They, and even like you said, with the Uber story, it was not, um, people had no idea, um, about a lot of different parts of this. They didn't know it was only a black car app for a very long time. They didn't know Lyft was first to, uh, peer to peer stuff. They didn't like just sort of things that they take for granted, um, now, because they're so ubiquitous, didn't really recognize any of this. So I think for for anyone who watches the show, just like can get like some sense of of history in in kind of how things actually went down and kind of what what it looked like inside. And I think that's instructive, helpful. And I think I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. It's hard to capture a lot of these companies in a really compelling way for TV just because all, uh, like coding sometimes, is boring. <laughs> yeah, like the tech stories unless you um unless in this particular case we got lucky because the story was actually insane, right? right. But like a lot of tech company histories are not that and Uber's in the physical world and you know there's yes. so much they're exactly. real. I mean that's why Gray Ball is exciting. It's like oh you're invading some sort of Law right. enforcement, hour, you know, that is very different. Even if you're on Facebook and I don't know, doing something with government, that that sort of still like tension. Boo-boo-boo. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> right. My, my yes, exactly. It's scenes of, of people this typing. Audio. <laughs> right. And it's, it's things that it, like, you know, oh, yeah. affect people's lives. I mean, that's why Super Pumped was so great. Why, you know, Bad Blood was so great is that it makes this important connection that to get people to care about this shit, which is like, well, how, who's really being affected by any of this stuff? If it's just like money that evaporates because it was a bad idea or there were criminals involved. Okay, sure. But also like, you know, who are the people at the bottom of the chain that are, you know, not operating the same way now because of the thing that happened at the top? hundred percent. And the social, the social network is such an interesting example because that movie came out before I covered tech, right? So that was 20, 2009, 2010. And I was covering Wall Street. So my only, all that I knew about the tech industry came from that movie. 
because I had literally zero interest in it before. Yep. And so my, but this is the difference. So this is like, now I know that a lot of the movie was not true, right. but the sense that you got of the company and the sense that you got from the people involved, was it still accurate on some level? Ah. Uh, well, that wasn't the intent. Where are people it, on social network? Right? I never got bullshit, past right? The, I mean, I, yeah, it, the idea that so much of the central conflict was Zuckerberg not having like a girlfriend or whatever, or right? it, the tension when he had a strong girlfriend like throughout who was involved because it's Aaron that, Sorkin, that, like he's that, he's a one dimensional like writer, like he. Only, I mean, we can talk about this thankfully with Mike before we see the show. But like, oh, see, I thought that the central, I thought the central tension was not about the girlfriend. I thought the central tension was between he and the Winklevi. Well, and and, sir, just, and uh, uh, Andrew Garfield. A key part of what made his sort of humanity was the relationship with the girlfriend, which just was what a huge, was driving him to do it. Actually, true, and it, I did find that super. It allowed sort of, I think, tech people in the know to sort of say, well, that's not really what motivated Zuckerberg. Right, but now but now for probably very few people could tell you the plot points of a movie that came out 12 years ago, but the sense of the company that it left is one that remained, right? So I had actually literally forgotten that the girlfriend was even a part of the movie. But that, <laughs> I forgot. I, I forgot about Rudy Mara. By the inner relationships I, in I, the movie. But I, but I forgot about the fact that the girlfriend was even a factor in the plot. But the sense of the company, which is a founder who is amoral, who, you know, feels that he's driven. Right. Maniacally and who, driven. Maniacally driven and will pave win over all anything. Costs. Yeah, That's yeah. all I remember sure. about that movie. But, you know, so, so that, I think that's sort of like why the public feels that way about Mark Zuckerberg in some yeah. ways. And it has nothing to do with being able to actually remember any of the plot. Well, I think and we so, all agree. Yeah. The mood mm, from a movie or a piece of content is going to inform people way more than right. the articles we write. So, and so that's what I'm wondering about the show. Like, right. So like, but what, but so that's why <laughs> I'm wondering, like, what, but what will, but what will the impression be that it leaves of Travis? Right. And is that different from the impression that the news has left? I think so. I think, um, so a, I have, that that just in exploring this, exploring and really thinking hard about Facebook, because I um, I'm doing an, uh, another book on Facebook um, next, which I'm gonna have to go start working on. Not start, go continue working <laughs> on after this podcast. <laughs> right, right. Is there an era, or what's the central? I think pitch it's of I Facebook? think it's gonna be. Um, well, it's funny that you're mentioning, this, and this is why I bring it up because. Uh, it, part of why I want to do it is because of how much people think of Facebook as the social network era, uh, 2011 or whatever the hell it was, 2010, 2011. I think, um, people don't really know what drives Mark and Cheryl to do what they do. And I think it's much more nuanced and not necessarily in a flattering way. Uh, I think there's, but not necessarily in an unflattering way. I just think that people are complicated and it, and it, it, it has, it is the similar impulse that I had with Travis, right? Like he's not your hero. He's not your villain. He's a flawed person. And I think that's what makes him interesting and what makes the arc so fun to write about. Have, have think, you, have you talked to Travis since your courtroom scene where he's, that was the last the time I spoke to him in real life. I mean, as you guys know, there are, there are ways of getting to him, but like, I think that 
I think that was literally the last time we ever interacted and shook hands or whatever. It's been a while. But go back to the answering that, like, so what is, how will this show, what will the public perception of Travis be after this show? And how is that different from what we have? I really think, I think that you were correct before in saying the view of Travis from, from my coverage, from other folks' coverage, uh, as it was unfolding was probably like big, scary tech, bad guy. I don't think that's what he is, um, for better or worse, I guess. And I don't think that's what the show portrays him as. I think the show sort of, maybe there are people who watch the show who like him or founders who sort of get it. You know, I still talk to people in the Valley today who are like, you know, benchmark fucked up. They should not have done this. There's a few people who are very like strongly against it. So I think it, I think they do a good job of um, sort of showing that he was a, a driven guy, but also some of the things that made him great are the things that end up doing him in in the end. So um, his I, I friends are characters in the show. Yes, Angie and Gabby are both in. Yeah, it. I think that'll be interesting. I'm excited to see how those inform uh, his arc. Yeah, he's definitely they were they were a big part. I want to go back to something you said a, a while ago in this, sure. which was that you weren't expecting them to make this after it was optioned, right? It's like you mm-hmm. get the check for the option, which is awesome. <laughs> Mike, and I even you. remember, I even remember when it <laughs> happens, you know, and yeah, I covered media for a while. And so people were like, oh man, you know, the option Mike's book. And I was like, yeah, they're never going to make it. Right. Because, be, be, <laughs> even because when they to, were casting all this stuff, we were like, is this really, you know, is this show right. going to happen? Or Because right. the, the, the plug can be pulled at any point during these things. And I had always thought like, there's just not enough people like to you, to us, it's the biggest deal in the world, right? Like I, I read all of your stories and I was like, and I love the book and I was like, oh yeah, this oh. is great drama. But then it's like, who cares outside of just us? And uh, you know, Hollywood has to operate largely outside of the things that we four people are interested in. <laughs> but then, so this coincides with what is like one of like the topics that tech people, tech journalists always get around to, which is this bubble of books and now shows based yeah. on these, these, these companies. Right. I mean, like I was at a party last night, M- missed you there, Mike. I, um, I, my back actually went out yesterday. So I literally spent oh the no. rest of the evening on my back and now I have a pillow back on my okay? back right now. I'm okay. Yeah. But I had Katie remembers the era of me being like fucked up in my back. So I feel terrible for missing that part. I got to call Elliot anyway. Uh, uh, but, sorry, but, I was not there. No, no but uh, a media you know, podcast about another media party. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of dead cat. A lot of dead cat fans. That, thing, that place was dead con. There were really? so many fans. <laughs> That's yeah, good. It, was, it was a lot. It was a lot. But uh, so, you know, a reporter there had written a book about WeWork. Um, and in the background of the party were screeners of the Apple TV WeWork show. Um, that is no. going to be coming out in a couple of weeks with Jared Leto as Adam Newman. Oh my God. That's so funny. Wait, is that happening or? Oh, yeah. 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 Like there were episodes. There's a trailer out. Hmm. Yeah. Whose book is it off of or nobody's? No, it's based on Reeve Weidemann's book. And then, you know, they're going to be making the, uh, Katie, you're and Mike, your, your colleagues on the Facebook beat. Wait, uh, who? So there is a book on. On, There's an Apple um, TV show on uh, on WeWork that's coming out. Um, they're making a second season of Super Pump that's going to be based on Facebook and, and maybe related to the book that you're putting out. Uh, there's but gonna it's not be, gonna be called Super Pumped, will it? Or they're gonna I'm not use... really sure what their title designation uh, okay. is. It's super, an anthology. Super Pump colon Facebook. Right, basically. Yeah. Is it my general name? It'd be cool. I, I think 
I think they, I think for naming purposes, it might be good to have continuity. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but we'll see. Call it, call it fucking metamates. Metamates. <laughs> metamates, we fucked up. Uh, but so, and then there's going to be also, I think another Apple TV thing on, on uh, Shira and Cecilia's uh, book. So like we've gone from, you know, my thinking like, yeah, they'll option these things, but nothing's going to happen from it to, it seems like they're green lighting everything. And I don't know, from your perspective, having been like part of the bubble and like benefited from it and contributed yeah. to it, yeah. like what is happening? Like where, where is this coming from? Like, is this just the success of bad blood and mm. that becoming like a wider pop culture phenomenon uh, where you, producers maybe realize like, oh yeah, there is, you know, an audience for these kinds of things. Is it just like the growth of tech in all of our lives? And like, we're trying to examine, you know, Mm. Is it a reflection of, you know, what we've built and who we are? Is it just like a cash grab because these are streaming services that just order content by the tonnage and they just have to get more shows out there? And so they're like, ah, it's my, IP. Let's do it. Greenlight, go. Uncertain. <laughs> Let Mike answer. <laughs> I know. So I think there are, I think there's not one given thing. I think there are a lot of things. A, streamers desperately need content all the time, right? Like, and you have like, this streaming war going on where again, what you said is you can't even remember which thing it's playing on because everyone has a streaming app right now. If it's not Apple TV uh, or Apple TV plus or whatever, whatever it's called, then it's Hulu. If it's not Hulu, then it's Netflix. If it's not Netflix, then it's Showtime, which is where super pumped is, which is what you should subscribe to. If it's not Showtime, then it's someone HBO. just sent me their password to Showtime the other day. I won't, I won't. <laughs> I do not recommend that. I recommend <laughs> subscribing. Uh, if it's not, but like streamers, all great job, Eric. Fighting for <laughs> fighting. streamers, all fighting well, listen, for. You got to consume Mike's show, uh, however you can, you know. But they all need to find content, and they're paying a lot of money for it. And there's, I mean, there the 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 other thing that made me that um, was shocking to me is how much IP is like just snapping up books and book rights uh, to make a lot of these things. Like a lot of um, the really dramatic books that would work. Uh, are the, are the one, so like, so it's kind of like a lagging indicator The the, the, the movie options and TV options are a lagging indicator. I think of how many TV or tech books are being sold, which again, we went through a bubble there and like a ton of tech books. Um, what I think will be curious is, um, so my show is hitting at the same time. A few different shows are hitting. I know there are a number of articles in the works right now, it's probably times of the premieres around like this very trend and like what's going on here. Why is this? I think, um, so I think part of it's streamers need content. I think part of it is a bunch of different books on this. I think part of it is tech is, is a huge topic that we have all covered for our jobs in a big way over the past five to seven years that was not covered the same way a generation previous, let's say, you know, I mean, Donald Trump's gone. Politics is boring. Tech's a better story, yeah. you know, but the also market the timing is kind huge. of right. Like, you know, I think when wall street was a big story before it collapsed, yeah. like on the come up, it was 2006, seven and then eight, obviously the collapse. And so 
like pop culture, the processing of that happens later. The Wolf of Wall Street is like seven years later. The Big Short is like eight years later. Even like the Lehman Brothers movie was years later. And you see a multi-year stretch of movies and television shows come out all about Wall Street, like five to 10 years after Wall Street, the story itself that reporters covered, five to 10 years after that story is covered and reporters have done it. The pop culture versions of it, it takes a few years to digest and then like another few years to put out. So like the last big Wall Street show is probably, I mean, like billions, right? And so, but between like the Lehman Brothers movie, I forgot what it's called, (laughs) but about like the fiction with Demi Moore, between that Mm. and billions is like, so that's like what, seven years of movies and television shows about things that happened seven years before, you know? (laughs) So this is, so if you think about where the tech story was, the arc, you kind of, the peak is like 2016 and the come down is 2017. We're in 2022. I think we've got another three or four years of these yeah. shows and movies. And to be clear, we also don't know yet how they'll be received. You know, I'd like, honestly, yes. Super Pumped is the first one, um, I've, I've, right? More or less. I mean, you could maybe put Silicon Valley, but that's, I would say, a different well, the, category. The, I was going to say um, the Theranos, all the Theranos, the Theranos stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure right. when that comes out, but that's, yeah, that's the... The other the one, like, movie, I, but but you know, because we've Alex already had Gibney a documentary dog. podcast right. and television show that's about right. Theranos. No, I mean that's how it works. But I think right. Tom, I think your point is right. Like we have a lot of it now. If everyone hates all of this, maybe it goes away. Maybe maybe we're like, all right, we tried doing the tech thing, and right. we're not optioning tech stuff anymore. You know, I think that. Well, Hollywood is full of followers, right? Listen, no one... younger tech reporters than you's careers hang on this <laughs> being successful. This must be like, successful. Yeah. Right. Because you're not going to get paid as a reporter. Right. <laughs> Eric, Eric goes to all the high schools and like, let me explain to you what a fucking option is, okay? That's why you get into the game. You want to option. Wow. Eric is a journalism professor. Is so no, intense to think I, about. I'm, I'm in the newsletter business, which is his own oh bubble and right. hustle oh at the God. moment. So that's... Uh, you know I what's interesting though, about that thing. bubble? <laughs> you know, Katie, like comparing it to Wall Street, you know, I think back to like the 80s and, you know, like the three sort of big books that came out of like the financialization in the 80s. You have Barbarian at the Gates, you have mm-hmm. um, Liar's Poker, and you have mm-hmm. uh, the long term capital mention. Oh, Bonfire yeah, of the Vanities. Yeah. Bonfire of the Vanities. And like two of them are like, you know, f- journalistic recountings or like narratives, uh, you know, nonfiction narratives about what it was like being in Wall Street during that during that period. And then you have Bonfire of the Vanities, which is this completely crazy fictional piece. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to me that like the shows that are being made right now are all mostly based on books and like real companies that have imploded or had crazy dramas. I don't think we've had like the really ambitious fictional, just purely fictionalized mm. piece to come out. Well, yet. Anna Wiener did her book right which is fictionalized oh i read that it's it's only no it's it's like i think it's, it's pretty true it's, to life it's it's autobiographical yeah right no that's not fictionalized i think right. the fictionalized versions sort of came out maybe too early and they were too facile in some ways so there's the one they of the Michaels off. did a novel. Yeah, they feel a little off. Like one of the novel did the circle, right? Oh yeah, that was not quite. It oh, well, that was a terrible book too. It's, I mean, it's not because one of the things about Bonfire of the Vanities is that it not only skewers Wall Street, it's accurate. Right. It's like and, absurdist, but also like dead on. Right. Is, right. Am I remembering it right. And I, yeah, I yeah. think that it's very knowledgeable. The, the tech critique novels, they were so interested in the critique that they didn't pay attention to any of the other parts, including totally. 
character totally. <laughs> <Plot>. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. speaks to a sort of scoldy uh period of our culture right, that we're living like, hitting you over the head right. with a fucking metaphor that right, just right. is like okay which is I why they can't it. make any good like a rock war but movies those books right came out a decade ago those books <laughs> right. came out way before the scoldy culture those books right. were just like it's just they weren't they it's nobody's take it's not tom wolf he was like in some ways himself a person very embedded in Wall Street, he clearly had like a point of view on it, but he was just a funny writer and he was willing yeah. to like, you can't have like a funny, interesting account unless you actually are willing to understand the thing you're skewering and you mm. have some like love for it too. At a deep level. Yeah. There's a Thomas Pynchon book about tech uh, in the early 2000s called Bleeding Edge, which is like not mm. great. It's not <laughs> like it's it's like it's, <laughs> It's too dense, but it's incredibly knowledgeable. You know, like I, I started reading it when I got into covering tech and it's like, huh. he's like fucking discussing like the specifics on how a round is put together and like parapasu and these like extremely oh. small tech terms. And it's like, wow. I don't want to read that now. <laughs> anyway, but we could, I guess, conclude the section being like, it's, you know, so we have this period that we're about to find out, right? Whether anybody gives a shit about this stuff, right? Yep. Beyond us. Uh, and it could inform, you know, whether it will be like the next wave of these things or this is just going to be like another fad, like, you know, teen dystopia movies that they were all doing like 10 years ago that no one hears about anymore. Um, you know, if that's going to be like the tech, you know, the tech collapse story of like the 22s or whatever you call this. I mean, era. I think it will. Yeah, it will, it will. I think part of it will depend on if people watch it, if it's good, you know, like that's the other thing, like because like some people I'm I'm obviously biased, but I I think the show is very compelling and like very good. So like, I think it's, it will depend on if the stuff is acclaimed, if this stuff like has legs or rewatchability or like propulsiveness. The thing that I think really works with our show is that you want to keep going, you know, and they're doing a serialized release. So each week is going to be like, instead of just like Netflix dumping everything, it's going to be, which I think is smarter actually to do. So, so I'm bullish on the tech um, movies and TV shows, because I think that people always want to see, like, we always want to watch sort of a rise and fall. And we always want to watch yes. sort of like the outsized versions of all of the emotions we already feel every day. Yes. And that's always best done through the stories of people who did it on a bigger stage with more at stake. So like in, I feel like in the eighties, in the nineties, like sort of in the eighties, you had all of these like shows about like, you know, end of the nineties about like Andy Warhol and things that were happening in the seventies, glam rock. And that was sort of the stage on which we were exploring those ideas. And then like after the eighties, you had a lot of wall street content. And then of course, after the wall street collapse, you had a lot of wall street content. So tech was for a while, the way the culture was funneling our big ideas about winning and losing and about like what it meant to take risk and be like the whole like great man theory stuff was all just happening in tech. So that's where we're going to explore it for a little while. And then there's going to be some rush of like horrific Washington, DC <laughs> pop culture that comes out a decade from now. I'm it's very right. curious. I'm like the... already like not into it, but whatever. So this is the fascinating thing about this era though, because like, you know, you want to talk about who cares about some of this stuff. Does it have a wider audience? I never would have expected that a fucking show about a media family and the boardroom fights and like, who's going to take over the company from their decrepit criminal father is a show that was going to be like a huge zeitgeist. Huge. But that's show. not what the show is about. The show is about 
kids who have a shitty dad. Right. Like everybody wants to see that show. Right. And people have always liked to gawk at wealth. I mean, wealth has always been something people. Yeah. Like the to. fabulous. Right. And it's, and it's funny, but yeah, like the media, <laughs> you the just media. gave us the formula for a good show. Now also right. be funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I ask, I mean, we, we sort of touched on this on the Alex Heath episode and it's been on my mind a lot and it flows through both sort of the Uber and Facebook stories. I mean, just the, you know, whether the media's goal is to like unseat, you know, like a Travis or mm-hmm. a Mark Zuckerberg. And mm-hmm. I mean, we sort of, Uber was in some ways the test case where it was there. I mean, we were both covering it. It did feel like there were legitimate stories and I was surprised, you know, when he was pushed out and, you know, so I, I don't know, but there was definitely a sense that every story was building towards will this guy be removed. And then we sort of saw a version uh, with WeWork, though maybe the mm. journal was sort of more singular in, in sort of that. And then with Facebook, it feels right now that at least some pockets of the Facebook coverage are really trying to unseat Mark Zuckerberg. I So I don't know. What do you, how do you think about this sort of have played a big role in the Uber saga covering Facebook where, where it does feel like the media is driving whether these CEOs, you know, stay in their jobs. Yeah. I, Facebook coverage to me is fascinating because I think there are folks and you can, I think there are fine arguments on each side of uh, like of this. There are some people who are purely oppositional against Facebook, right? They feel like they've sort of decided Facebook is, bad for the world, a bad company, you know, like just sort of like that is their position. That's definitely their Twitter sort of stance and position. Um, and that's fine if that's what your outlet is, um, allowing you to be or whatever. I don't think that's my role. And so I, and I, um, but I also like, I also find it more effective to just sort of like, let, let things sort of, present things like as they are, and then people can sort of decide this is great or this is awful or whatever. I agree with you at the same time that like, what is the drumbeat to all of this intense coverage as it goes along? And it does feel like the climax is ultimately, well, is this the, the buck stops with you? Have you failed? Should you still be at the head of the company as the head of the company? I think part of that is also fed by um, being a public company. And, um, I mean, maybe Uber is like the exception to this, but like shareholders also demand change in times of like great crisis, right? You just saw that with Peloton, um, and like them sort of ousting the dude, um, because of how (laughs) fucked up it is. And so I think that is kind of the backdrop as well, but I, I don't know with Facebook, it feels different because of how, um, emotional people feel about it, uh, about the company and about Mark specifically. And I have a lot of mixed feelings on what the coverage is, you know, but I, but I, I obviously like critical coverage is good. I just think that like, it's interesting to see fo- some folks just be like, this is my, my goal. This is a, a bad company. And what I'm doing is sort of like taking, taking it out essentially. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's a valid position if, if that's what you want to do, but everyone has to sort of figure out what's interesting. I mean, on the Uber story, you know, there were all these scandals, but there was also just, you know, Uber was a company that lost a lot of money and like, wasn't really necessarily reforming its business. And there was some financial pressure to just sort of 
bring in a different strategy of what could be sort of a huge disaster under sort of a Bill Gurley uh, way of thinking. I mean, given Facebook's enormous stock declines, like you do wonder if the piece of the puzzle that was missing with Facebook was the actual financial problems. You know, it was a great business. So Mark Zuckerberg kept consolidating power and the company worked. So who cares if there are scandals? The media can scream all at once, but things will continue. But now we're really seeing the stock market hit. So not not knowing anything inside, that would finally be the piece that would worry me if I were, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg. Or what's your read on that? I have heard that he has not been in a good mood lately. <laughs> um, I And like, it's funny because I think, I'm very curious if we look back in a few years and see right now as some sort of turning point because it does feel like they are in, um, I mean, it's funny because we've always treated Facebook as, uh, or the coverage has been, here's all this stuff that they're doing, whether it's intentional or unintentional, that has these secondary effects that can be very awful, right? And um, how do you reckon with that? But at the same time, the underlying sort of um, uh, stable you know, thing is like consistent quarterly growth, consistent profits, consistent sort of like trust in leadership because they've been able to sort of innovate their way into innovate by innovate. I mean, you know, copy or acquire, or acquire <laughs> right. correct uh, into a sort of next successive phase of, of staying on top, at least in, in some markets. And I think that's now a question mark where it wasn't in the past. Like, can they fix their Apple uh, Google sort of advertising me- measurement issue around mobile devices, which is rapidly changing over the next few years. And now um, are people going to go start spending ad money somewhere else? That's like, I think that really fucked up the stock. I think, um, I think them hitting growth ceilings on some of their legacy properties is fucking up the stock. I think that there's like, there are like a bunch of different things that kind of all happened at once that they reported in this earnings that made the stocks made everyone sort of be like, Oh my God, is this some sort of ceiling that we should be um, looking at? So I think it's more of a question mark than ever. You know, they're essentially saying we've done this before we can do it again. You know, like trust us because I'm Mark Zuckerberg and I'm Sheryl Sandberg and we're the dream team. But like, I haven't had many, heard many great answers beyond that so far, you know? You know, we've talked a lot about Spotify, but just as a final question, you talked about how much money, you wrote a story recently revealing Mm. the fact that Joe Rogan had been paid, in fact, $200 million with the option for more to come to Spotify, which is indicative of this idea that for a company to uh, stand out in a really crowded media space like podcasting, you have to have a star. Now, do you think that both the cost of Joe Rogan to get him and then the cost of having all of your eggs in one star basket implode so spectacularly? Do you think that that is going to have people, it's going to cause people, especially in the podcasting space, it's so crowded to yeah. rethink the idea of a need for one star, one voice? Yeah, I think, well, in talking to, so I worked on the story with a few colleagues who were all did just amazing reporting and digging to find folks involved in this. And like, you have to remember Spotify was in a historically shitty business where they were not making any money for a long period of time. Music is terrible. They make like 
no money. The labels still have them over a barrel on just like what you can get out of streams from artists and still screwing artists on paying them very little per stream, even if you are making millions of streams every day. So against that backdrop, they needed to get into a different business and they needed to do it quickly. They saw podcasting as their chance there. Um, the field has been fragmented historically. Um, I mean, Substack is looking at it and wants a piece of it. Like no one, Apple has kind of squandered whatever lead it might've had at some point by its podcasting app being terrible for a very long time. And they didn't, they kind of, kind of cared about it. Maybe they care about it more now. So Spotify's whole thing was like, this is our, this is where we can actually make money. Eventually, if we can bring up ad revenue through, um, gaining audience and like big podcasters and then create a long tail of smaller podcasters to come onto our platform and do exclusives, or at least just be on our platform at all. This is where we actually make margin compared to the shitty music business. I think they think in order to make a big splash, you go after a whale and there is Joe Rogan is unparalleled in the world of podcasting as far as audience goes. And I don't think they thought beyond we need as many ears as possible who can deliver that. And Joe was the first. And then after that, you've seen them go after and have like really mixed success. They've had these big deals with like Ava DuVernay and, you know, Harry and Meghan and like uh, a lot of these and Obama and, and fucking what's his name? Uh, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, exactly. Like, which I, I know no one who listened to that. Even I've the never... biggest like Bruce Springsteen diehards. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they sign these huge deals, really scattershot success. Some of these things have not even materialized at all. I think it's probably smarter to go after the cult cult shows with cult followings. Like I thought the Gimlet acquisition was probably pretty smart because of how many people like um, Reply All and those types of shows. And they actually have an editorial sensibility. So, um, So I think over time, perhaps if they do it well, they can build out this longer tail of small to medium sized podcasters with decent followings. But I think they wanted to make a big splash with a ton of listeners and Joe was Joe Rogan was that person. And, um, they didn't think through all the shit that comes with him initially. Gimlet seems so much smarter because you have sort of an editorial operation oh, between can, you. Can, and can, can I, I Tom uh, is sorry. Anti. Tom's anti Gimlet. It's, it was, I mean, like, look, it's been a while since I've reported on Spotify, so I can't speak to like the current thinking inside the company. As of like a year and a half ago, this was not a well thought of deal within the company. The, the amount of con- Gimlet. Interesting. I'm not saying Gimlet was a provident act. No, I mean, I'm just no, saying to solve the Joe Rogan problem, to have a, a brand okay, in between you. I, I, I want to push back on this idea of the Joe Rogan problem. Look, we think of it as a problem because this guy is pushed, you know, consistently having anti-vax people on this podcast and that's like pissing people off that guy has brought listeners the show has continued to grow while it's been at spotify we might think it has like major implications for public health and we need to book some anti-vax people i mean (laughs) learn learn from the best you know eric's trying to tee us up for a sale to spotify yeah i i I hear it creates tremendous value 100 million i was like oh whatever we'll do our own thing but he was selling for 200 million we need to like Take some keys Maybe from this guy. Yeah. yeah, Jordan I could Peterson. Up some Are you listening? Content. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, yeah, we're all anti-vax at some level. But um, no, no, look, like I, I think Joe Rogan has obviously hugely problematic. Like I don't even need to defend that point. Has it been an implosion for Spotify? I'd argue not. I think there's obviously consequences to what they've done. Right. But if you look at like, okay, 200 million for Joe Rogan, which like, yeah, by the way, very, very impressive work uh, by you guys unearthing that number and is like a great lesson to reporters that just because a number has been previously reported it's probably worth checking in on it and not just oh like God. looking back at the same number being like, as was, you know, because again, I can't pe- tell you how much fighting we had to do to get, it was, that was an intense one. Katie Rosman is the star there, but like, but that was the story. I right? would not I mean, want to get between yes. Katie Rosman and a fact like she will fucking cut you, even though she does a lot of yoga and whatever. And she's all like, Ooh, <laughs> um, she will destroy you if you she's don't give her something. Right. Yes. Right. No, I mean, the story was very well presented and packaged in like the New York Times way that like brought together a lot of strands of, you know, what had previously been reported and, you know, helping to like elucidate the strategy that others hadn't maybe done as clearly. But the story to me, like what was like unquestionably new was, was, you know, this 200 million thing, but that's what made it good. Like that's like, it was, it was, I am proud of what we did writing wise, but I think you gotta, I think the best stories have like that, like boom, and then right. after that, it's a pleasant read and you learn something. Right. Because it's like you got to impress, you got to impress 100%. like, yeah, you got to impress like the, you know, the people that cover this day to day. So you have like yes. the one nugget that's just like, all right, take that, Lucas yeah. Shaw. Eat shit. But, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Lucas. That's so funny. No, I like Lucas a lot. This is how we get media listeners. They never know right. if their names can come up. It's like you got to listen just throwing uh, haymakers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll insult someone randomly on the next. <laughs> Lu- Lucas was a great competitor. I, I loved reporting. He's him. great. I really enjoy it. Like, this is the, the best people are the ones who make me curse them, but I also like them. Like they're not assholes. And those are, I have very few people who I dislike, I think, in this industry actively, but the ones that are fun are people like Lucas, who's very good at his job, but also I, I, I like him as a person. Right. And he, and he tweets a lot. And you, you understand that. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. All right. So, how do we land this plane? How do we wrap yeah. this so we can all go back to working? <laughs> when can uh, people watch the show? Uh, how can, you know, what's your, what's, what's your Venmo? No. Uh, what's your plan for the show? <laughs> um, yeah, so February 27th, Sunday, coming up uh, in just a few days now. Um, first episode, uh, it's on Showtime. I believe you, yeah, you can subscribe. It's a, There's a Showtime app, which I have because I cut the cord, so you can still actually watch that. Um, I And uh, seven episodes, uh, serial release over the next seven weeks. So, yeah, and then if you can't see it day of, but that you will see that someone just told me there's a billboard on the 101 going north now for it, so it's kind of inescapable at this you point. Have, you have, if you, congratulations in the Bay Area. Billboard. If yeah. you listen to That's this great. podcast, you should probably watch this show because I think we're going to be talking about it a lot. <laughs> so if only to All understand right. the shared universe, you know, we won't let we won't let our affection for Mike. Bias. Wow. That's a big plug for the producers of of billions. Don't watch it because these guys made billions. Watch it so you (laughs) can follow along with Deadpool. Otherwise, you'll be totally lost. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're listening to Dead Cat. They're listening. Do you think most of the people, most of the people who listen to this podcast, listen to it week to week? Not not just like come into the episode because Mike's. Here. I think we're going to get a huge spike because of Mike on the show. So you, <laughs> to, to, well, to all of you Dead Cat listeners, then those people in yeah. particular will want to continue to listen to the podcast because they're very invested. Yeah. In my if you're, I, I, the logic and this, of this is Eric. This is Eric's two hundred million dollar strategy. His exit strategy is riding on right. this. Mike, Sorry. thank you for coming on. Thank you so so much. Thank you for having yeah. me. This is super fun. Thanks, Alan. Thanks. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.